John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was, a mem- he was a Pharisee. He was one of the rulers of the whole country. He was one of uh, about 70 guys who whenever he spoke or when the council spoke, everybody did what they decided to do. He was rich. He was powerful. And something happened to Nicodemus when Jesus was ministering a few days earlier and something on the inside began to stir in Nicodemus. Okay, as Jesus taught, as he preached, and as he did the miracles, something really interesting happened. Nicodemus began to believe. If you go back to verse 23 in chapter 2, it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Many believed in his name. Does any of you remember when, uh, maybe when you were an unbeliever, but all of a sudden, faith began to circulate just a little bit. You began to think about Jesus in a little different way. You began to, um, what you used to didn't believe about Jesus you thought might be possible. Can anybody remember those days when faith began to stir? I'll read a little bit further. I'm going to talk about this, okay? Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So everyone, So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Men and women who are lost, the Bible refers to them as being dead. Being dead. Now, when someone comes to believe in Jesus, the Bible describes them as having life. And so between the dead state and between the life state, spiritually, there must be a birthing, there must be a reborning, there must be a rebirth. Spiritually, as a person is born physically, and when my little grandson Gabriel came into the world, how many months ago, Grandma? Fifteen months ago. He had been in his mama's insides for nine months. And one day, the day came when little Gabriel was to come into this world. Now, Gabriel came into existence as a cell, a little tiny, itsy-bitsy, microscopic cell in his mama's insides. And he began to take nourishment and grow, and the cells divided, and he grew some more, and the cells kept dividing, and he got bigger and bigger, and his mama's tummy got bigger and bigger, and after a while, Gabriel started to move and kick around, and you could actually watch his mama's belly. It would move around as Gabriel moved in her, okay? Now, there was a point at time when... 
Gabriel wasn't alive, but as he as as two cells came together, he became a living being. And the evidence of that living being began to manifest itself little by little by little by little. Now that's the way life begins physically. Spiritually, there's a being called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity and it is one of the jobs of the third person of the Trinity to bring the new birth, to take men and women who are dead spiritually, who have no life spiritually, who are in sin and lost. It's the Holy Spirit's job to bring them to life. Okay, So, therefore, there's a moment at which those who are dead becomes alive and Jesus referred to this as the new birth. And there's lots of theological positions about how the new birth comes to be. But I'm just simply going to tell you, whatever your religious position is and whatever your theology is, the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost will take a dead sinner, someone who has no spiritual life, someone who has probably no morals, no moral compass, they don't know really the difference between right and wrong, take that person and awaken their conscience and cause them to begin to consider the Holy Spirit works in a person, even sometimes in a dead condition, what they call wooing the person, giving that person evidence about who Jesus is. Maybe even if the person don't know who Jesus is, but the Holy Spirit woos a person and draws a person with evidence and with changes in their life and, and, and it will culminate in the new birth. Okay? And the person becomes, comes from dead to alive. Physically, you go from a place of non-existence to life. Spiritually, you come from a place of non-existence or death to life. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. And that's one of his jobs that he has. And he's not stopped doing his job. He's continually doing it today. And it's a great, wonderful thing, not only to hear the testimony of a person who's been dead spiritually and who's been given the new birth, but it's also a wonderful thing to see that person begin to grow and mature and to become, have a thirst and a hunger for spiritual things. Hunger and a thirst for Christ, a hunger and a thirst for uh, the fellowship of the saints, a hunger and thirst for the Word, a hunger and thirst for God's fellowship. It's a wonderful thing to see that develop. Now, Nicodemus was a person who had been dead, but the Holy Spirit had been wooing him and bearing witness to him that Jesus was real. For example, he said this. He said, Master, second verse. He said, Master, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You see, what Jesus did bore witness with Nicodemus and some of the other people of the Sanhedrin that Jesus was the real deal. And see, that's what the Holy Spirit does in the process of wooing you from death to life. He bears witness to you that Jesus is the real deal. It's real simple. And they call that as the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost draws you to Jesus. You know what they call that? This is what I learned as a Baptist. They call that irresistible grace. The Presbyterians call it prevenient grace. But it doesn't matter whether you call it irresistible grace, which means you cannot resist the drawing, you cannot resist Him bearing witness to you. It doesn't matter if you call it irresistible or prevenient. It's still grace. 
It's still grace. And the Word says that we're not saved by works, but we're saved by grace through faith, that it not be of works. And so if you're alive, if you've, if you've been born again, if you, have, if you have new life about you, it's because, in part, not only because of the work of the Christ, of the cross, but it's also evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit, the one who has brought you from death to life, to cause your faith to spark, to cause your faith to grow. And during this whole process of being wooed, or during this whole process of being exposed to irresistible grace, God's preparing you for the most wonderful adventure of your life, and that is a relationship with Him. And that new birth can come just, bam, all of a sudden, just like it did in Gabriel's case. Gabriel came out. We were all in the waiting room waiting on Amanda to have Gabriel, and it just seemed like it was taking an eternity. And all of a sudden, we were down the hall, and all of a sudden, we heard something come from in the room. And we all just got excited, and we stopped, and we listened real hard. Is that what we think it is? It's the sound of life. And lo and behold, it was the sound of life. It was Gabriel coming out, being born of water, okay? Jesus said a person cannot see the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. You've got to have life to you to see the kingdom of God. You have to be born of water. You've got to be a human being. You've got to go that route. But you also can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born by the Spirit. You've got, to be alive. You've got to be alive physically and alive spiritually to be able to see the kingdom of God. And so Gabriel came out, and the first thing we did was we heard evidence of life. Now, Nicodemus, here's what I believe, and I guess people can believe all what they want to. Nicodemus, the evidence of life in Nicodemus was when he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I believe that was, that was the cry of a newborn child. It's not we think. It's not that you might be. It's not that you could possibly be. It's simply that we know that you are a teacher come from God because no one could do the signs you do unless God be with him. That was, that was Nicodemus' first wank. And then Jesus went on to explain to him about the process and Nicodemus did not understand it. He said, Master, how can this be? He said, you talk about this new birth, this second birth. How can a man go again into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, no, you don't understand. He's... Nicodemus is trying to come to grips with the, with the wonderful truth about Jesus and the kingdom of God, but he doesn't understand Jesus has to teach him. I want to tell you something about people who just get born again. People who just leave the dead state and come into the live state. They don't even know which end is up. They, on a compass, they couldn't tell you which end was north or which direction was south. They don't know and they don't understand that you have to take some time to teach them. You have to take some time to expose them. Now in the West, listen to me, in the Western church today, in, in our society and in our culture, it is almost impossible to come in contact with somebody 
who does not know something about church. They know something about the dogma of the Christian faith. They know something about how Christians operate. And so therefore it's kind of hard to, to, to enter into a conversation with anybody who doesn't know anything about Jesus and who doesn't know anything about the church or its ways. Most people who don't go to church, uh, the reason they don't go to church is because they've been once. And they were either hurt or wounded or they saw the church operating just like the world and they said, I don't need this. This is just more of the same old stuff, just got a different name to it. And they don't participate. They don't want to participate because the church has nothing really genuine to offer. So we have a culture of people who have been absolute anethicized to the gospel and they've been anethicized to Jesus to a large degree. And we have a lot of the people who are not churched are skeptics and they're critics and it's really a lot the church's own fault. It's, it's, it's my fault and it's your fault. But Nicodemus was living in a day and age where all this stuff was new. And the Holy Ghost was working in him and bringing him to life and wooing him toward Jesus. And, and he was beginning to ask questions and he didn't understand it. So Jesus had to teach him. But I'm telling you, the day's coming in our nation, in our culture, in our society... When we're going to begin to encounter more and more and more people who don't know anything about Jesus and they don't know anything about the church because our society is becoming more and more or seems to be more and more and more lost. And there's becoming to be this, this wider gulf between the saved and the unsaved. You leave the Bible Belt and you'll discover it in a hurry. Now down here, Grandma has inoculated most of her grandchildren one way or another into church life. Because if grandma's got anything to do with it, grandkids are going to go to church on at least Easter and Mother's Day, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. And if she can get you there on Father's Day for grandpa, that's a good thing too. But you're going to go to church four times in the South a year. And you're going to get a little bit of the resurrection. You're going to get a little bit of the gospel. But I'm telling you, the day is coming when a lot of people's going to be just like Nicodemus. And one of the first signs of a person who's been born again is not really understanding what's going on in the kingdom. Okay? The church and the kingdom is not the same thing. But we equate church with kingdom and that's wrong. But we're going to find a lot of people like Nicodemus asking questions, trying to come to grips with the kingdom. Because see, what Nicodemus saw is he saw the signs that Jesus did. He was actually seeing the kingdom in operation. What is the kingdom of God anyway? It's the rule and the reign of God. It's, it's, it's a place where God operates. He's all around. And, and the kingdom demonstrates signs, powers, miracles, and wonders. Prophetic words. Deliverance. All those wonderful things. That's what the kingdom demonstrates. That's what Jesus came to preach. That's what John the Baptist came to preach. That's what they came to, to, to bring to bear on their society and culture. And so... When people saw and heard these wonderful teachings, but also these miracles, they began to ask questions. And people, I'm going to tell you something, people are going to begin asking questions again. And you know what's going to be a good thing? Because a lot of people is not really asking a lot of questions now. But you know what, you know what the challenge is going to be to, to us? The challenge to us is going to be this. Are we going to take the time to explain to people how the kingdom operates? And are we going to take the time to invest in people a little bit of mentoring and a little bit of fellowship 
even when we think it's the most ridiculous thing in the world. You see, we come preconditioned into, into church, not the kingdom. We come preconditioned into church thinking just everybody should know everything because they've been to church four times a year. And so we're, the day is coming when we're going to have to, yes, we're going to have to teach people about the church and how that thing works. But there's coming a day when we're going to have to teach people about the kingdom because the Spirit of God is just going to unleash His gifts and His signs and His wonders through certain individuals and things are going to begin to happen in the natural that are unexplainable and people who are unchurched and unkingdomed are going to begin asking us, well, now, this, now you've got a prophetic word. How did you know? How did you know? You, got a, you, you said you got a word for me. How did you know so accurately what my life is like? See, that's a demonstration of the kingdom. When somebody gets a prophetic word, when somebody gets a word of knowledge about somebody to pray for them or whatever, uh, people who have never been exposed to that wants to know how that works. So that's the kingdom being demonstrated in real terms. And I really hope that we're going toward a day when, and please don't take this wrong, I love the church. I don't want to get. I, I, I don't ever want to spend the day of my life away from the church ever. It's a good thing. You, you know, y'all are a good thing to me. But I hope we get to the place one day where the church takes its rightful place and uh, it gets the right degree of exposure and teaching, but I also hope we get to the place where the kingdom really comes to front like it should be. Jesus didn't teach a lot on church. He taught a lot about the kingdom. You know why he taught a lot about the kingdom? Because he understood that there are so many people out there like Nicodemus who that if they experienced the kingdom and they were exposed to the kingdom and if they could see that, then they would believe in Jesus and be saved because the Holy Spirit is wooing them. Jesus understood the processes involved bringing the lost into the kingdom because the kingdom, people, kingdom's where it's at. Church is not where it's at. Kingdom is where it's at. Church is good. It takes its place, but the kingdom is where it's at. You know, ain't it so good? <laughs> ain't it so good? They're exploring the kingdom here. But you see, there's a difference. And so we're going to live to see the day where people begin to ask questions about the kingdom. Why? Because the kingdom is once again going to be demonstrated to people. It's not going to be a mystery anymore. Okay, let's go a little further. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You know, just to comment a little bit about that, how the Spirit, how the wind blows where it wants to and does what it does. It shakes the trees where it wants to and the Spirit of God goes and it brings life to people where He wants it to. You know, to be honest with you, if we people, if we Christians and we believers had our say, <laughs> there would probably be individuals or personalities or characters in the earth that we would, if we had to say about it, we would just, we would ask the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit not to blow on those people. Okay? Let's, let's just, let's take a little exercise here. How many of y'all remember when I say the name Jeffrey Dahmer? Okay. How, 
Okay, I got some nods here from people who are over 20. It is my understanding that Jeffrey Dahmer was one of the most prolific serial killers of all time. It's also my understanding that before he was put to death, he came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of people probably doubt that. But it's my understanding that the report is that he did. And you know what? That's a good thing. You know why that's a good thing? Because as rotten and as bad as he was, I can't bear the thoughts of anybody. And I don't say this often. I can't stand the thoughts of anybody going to hell. It's a good thing to find repentance and it's a good thing to find Jesus. It's a good thing to be able to do that. How many of y'all, if I call out another name? Well, this would be one. How about, uh, and even some of y'all who weren't alive then would know this name because he is so infamous. What about... Hitler. I am sure there are people alive who would cringe at the thought of Hitler being saved. We have, there's no evidence that he was. You know? I don't know. I would hope that before he passed, he found Jesus. I'm serious about that. Charles Manson. Man in the Bible. You remember this guy named Manasseh? Manasseh was, um, at the time of his reign in uh, Israel, he was the most wicked king who had ever taken the throne. His daddy was King Hezekiah, one of the greatest, finest men who ever reigned. When Hezekiah was dying, when Isaiah came and told him that, uh, thus saith the Lord, sit your house in order for this day you shall surely die. He turned his face to the wall and repented and cried out. And then as Isaiah was going out into the courtyard, God turned Isaiah around and said, go back and tell him that I'm going to give him 15 more years to his life. Isaiah goes in there and he, he, he prophesies to Isaiah. He said, God's heard you cry. He's going to give you 15 more years. You know what happened in those 15 years? He fathered a little boy named Manasseh. And Manasseh grew up mean and wicked and lost and he was an idol worshiper and he sacrificed humans to idol gods and he carried he carried the nation into the worst deepest idolatry and debauchery of any king that ever lived he was then taken into captivity i think it was by the assyrians he was put in prison and guess what happened in prison if you, read, if you read the text, if you read the account, uh, he turned to the Lord in prison. That's right. You see, God does not operate like we operate. The wind of the Holy Spirit blows where God sends it and where God wants it. And he brings life all along the way in sequence and the way God wants it. And we should be praying. Our prayer should be that every single person on the face of the earth alive today would hear the gospel of Jesus and be saved. That they would be born again. That they would have a life of faith. What about Osama bin Laden? 
Oh God, save him in Jesus' name. That's my cry. Before Saddam Hussein was, was executed, I hope that you had prayed that he would be saved. You know, a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't like this kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, it's the it's the heart of God. Okay, listen. What's the heart of God? Let's go just a little further. First John three, verse sixteen. You know this by heart. Verse fourteen. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the earth to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That is the very center of the gospel. That's the very center of what Jesus did. Jesus came into the earth. He lived and he died and he rose again that men might be saved and that all should come to a knowledge of him and not perish. That includes everyone. And so it should be our prayer that everyone alive on the planet today would come to know Jesus before they die. And you know what? That's why spreading the gospel is so important. That's why being a missionary here and being a missionary abroad is so critically important. How can they hear without a preacher? Okay? How can they believe on him they've not heard of? It's simple. They can't. So they need to hear the word and we need to be involved in spreading the gospel without prejudice. Now, we Christians, are, are, we have a checkered past. And we can stick our heads in the sand if we want to on this issue, but we have a checkered past. A lot of the damage that was done between um, the Eastern nations and the Western nations, a lot of the damage that was done was instigated by Christian folks during the Crusades in the Middle Ages. Without regard to those people, crusades were engaged on and the cultures and the societies and the integrity of, of countries and peoples were, were imposed on and it caused a lot of ill will. And if you begin to talk to people today who are terrorists and who are um, people who are bent on the destruction of America, they will throw those things up in your face. You know what would do you know what would defuse all of a sudden all of the terroristic activity in the earth? Do you know what would defuse that? Do you know what can disarm that? Do you know what can bring peace? It's the declaration of the Lord Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. It's the, it's the, it's the message of the gospel. The best thing we could do is not to war against peoples like that. Rather, it's to send missionaries and to honestly preach the gospel and to extend the love of Christ because that's the way you change a culture. Let me tell you a little story. Uh, December was a year ago when Dan and I uh, and John were in Nigeria. Nigeria is 50% Muslim. And, well, 
No, let me back up. Nigeria is 30% Muslim, 30% Christian, and 30% or 33% of us. It's almost one third, okay? Of the organized faiths, you know, Muslims account for half and Christians account for half. As we went into Nigeria and we began to preach, uh, the first thing that happened was before anything happened is they carried us to the chieftains. They carried us to the elders of the cities and the kings of the tribes. And it was prophesied over us before we left that we would, we would be in the presence of kings and dignitaries. Now, I'm thinking, okay, I'm thinking the king we're going to go see, it's like, I have this mental image of what a king is, okay? He's got this big old throne, just, you know, just this big old chair-like thing that you sit in, and he's got a scepter, this big crown on his head, and, uh, you know, it looks like King Arthur out of the comic strips. That's my mental picture of a king. So we go to Takum, and before we have the first crusade, we're notified that we're going to go and have an audience with the king. The king of the Hausa tribe wants to meet with us. The Hausa tribe was the largest tribe in Nigeria, the largest tribe of natives. The Hausa tribe was it. Okay? And so we're given an audience with the Hausa king in Takum. So that afternoon we have this two-car motorcade. And so we go around to the Hausa king's place and we have to wait outside. We're told what the etiquette and the protocol is. You have to take shoes off before you go in. You've got to bring a gift. Now what I carried, I, we carried a lot of stuff. Janie helped me. But one of the things that I carried it, along the gifts and stuff, we carried a, a rain stick. It was about this size, okay, a little bit smaller, but I carried a rain stick. I carried protocol gifts to be everywhere I went. So we got out at the king's house, and while we were outside, we took our shoes off, and I reached into my bag, and I pulled out the rain stick. That was going to be my gift to the king. And so uh, in just a little while, we were told, when well, we go in, we need to bow. Don't extend your hand to shake his hand. And you know, don't sit down until you're asked to sit down. You know, just protocol things. Well, some of those things we remembered and some of those things we didn't. And Dan Hartley, bless his heart, <laughs> Dan was just so excited. When we got in to visit with the king, the first thing Dan does is he does bow to the king, but he walks right up to the king and he sticks his hand <laughs> down. And the house of king, he kind of smiled, and he reached out, and he shook Dan's hand. And then, I don't remember if I said, Dan, or if John said, Dan. But all of a sudden, Dan remembered that, <laughs> that he was not supposed to shake the hand of the king. He said, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. He started, you know, started apologizing. And, uh, <laughs> so anyway, the king of the house of tribe, he looked different than what I had expected. He was dressed in a... In a, in a white outfit, he had a little white hat on his head. And um, his throne, get this, his throne was a white leather recliner. That's what the king sat on. And his throne room was quite bare, you know. And so um, we explained who we were and I gave him the rain stick and he was totally baffled by the rain stick. But... One of the things we did with the king is I asked him permission to minister in his town. I asked his blessing on the crusade. And he gave that. And he told us, he said, anything you need, through an interpreter, anything you need while you're here, you just ask and we'll make sure you have it. Okay? And so God gave us favor with the king. The king was Muslim. 
he even let us pray for him before we left. And from that day, and I, word spread through the house and nation about us coming and being with the king and giving him a protocol gift and praying for him and blessing his, blessing his reign. And as we went from village to village to village, it was already a done deal that everywhere we went, they arranged for us to go and meet the king of the local tribe. You know? We met the big king in Takum, and then you know, they have everything kind of delegated out. And in other cities, you know, they have a king of that little tribe over there. So word spread. And it eventually got to the place where the last, the last audience with the kings that we had, we went in this place and there were five present. Not only of the house of tribe, but of four other tribes. And some of these people had been bitter enemies and they had not come together under one roof ever. It was like this big deal. And they would not let us leave. They heard about us praying and blessing the king and Takum. They would not allow us to leave until we prayed and blessed their reign too. Okay? Having said that, all of these men were Muslims. It opened up a door by getting their permission to minister to the peoples in their areas. It opened the door to the Muslim nation. And when we would preach and when we would declare the gospel of Jesus... Not only would the local people, the, the poor people and the, uh, the people who were, quote, Christian come, but also there would come other people. We were in Lisam one night, and this is what I wanted to tell you about. This is how things get changed. We were in Lisam one night preaching, and I think I was up there that night. I think I was preaching. But anyway, toward the end of the crusade, I saw in the edge of the darkness there were these three ladies, very distinguished looking. They had really nice robes on and they had these beautiful headdresses on. They came around, when we gave the altar call, they came around and they stood sort of on the side and uh, they prayed to receive Jesus. And then we prayed for them all to be healed. And after it was over, I asked the bishop that we were with, I said, I noticed these three very distinguished looking ladies came around the edge and they stood at the right. I said, who were they? He said, they were all, listen, he said, they were all princesses of some of the local tribes and they were all Muslim. And as we talked about that, here's what he said. He said, those daughters are going to go home and they're going to be influences in those Muslim homes. Because when they came forward that night, we hooked them up with a local church. And so the plan was for them to be discipled, to be brought into the local church, and let God use their testimony as he would. You see, that's the way you change the world. That's the way you diffuse bad situations. That's the way. I'm telling you, if the gospel was released not only in the Muslim nations, but in all the nations of the earth, if we just release the gospel and let God do what God does, you know, and don't worry about the outcome, terrifically wonderful things would happen. It would diffuse situations. Also, the next day in the same town of Lisam, the local king's wife came to be prayed for. She'd been sick. And the way we would do this, what kind of, what kind of time are we holding? Jay, how much more time we got? Ten minutes? Okay. Twenty? Okay. Hmm, I see, that's like a bonus question, isn't it? But anyway, this, 
this lady came in. We, we operated a healing school, okay? And the way we would do this, Dan and I would go in before anybody got there, and uh, I would tell Dan, okay, Dan, I'm going to take everybody who comes in on this side, and you can take everybody who comes in on this side. And so I would pray for these people, and Dan would pray for these people over here. And we saw extraordinary things happen. We saw people heal from blindness and deafness and all sorts of real cool stuff, okay? Saw one guy who was, uh, who was lame with a stroke. He received uh, a lot of his healing while we were there. He was able to move and get around and stuff. Anyway, this one lady came in, and you, you, you can just tell when people are just different, okay? This lady came in, and she sat down, and um, as Dan was working his way through, he began to minister to her, and uh, she had what we understood to be was, uh, was breast cancer, okay? And she needed to be prayed for for breast cancer. And so as Dan began to talk to her, and I hope I'm telling this story right. I'm, I'm trying to remember it like it happened. As Dan, as Dan ministered to her, as he prayed to her, he found out that <clears throat> this lady had been carrying a grudge against another woman there in the village for years and years and years because of something this other woman had done to her when they were younger. And so Dan began to talk to her about the necessity of forgiveness and if you didn't forgive how a root of bitterness can spring up and how it could affect your life. And so this lady said, and as Dan told her the story about Jesus and how he forgave us, she made a connection. And she says, what you're telling me is, is that I need to go and make peace with this other woman and forgive her. And because of that, the bitterness will go away and I'll feel better. Because she'd been depressed. Over, I mean, she couldn't even watch this lady in the village. She couldn't even bear the sight of her because it bothered her to death. And so Dan said, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. So Dan prayed for the lady to be healed. And we understood after we left Lisam a couple of days later that this lady who was the king's wife, well, one of the king's wives anyway, had went and made peace with this woman. And word spread throughout the community of the tribe how these two women had made peace. And it caused a chain reaction because of the actions and the efforts of this king's wife, because of what she did, she began to tell people and other people began to go and make peace with people they weren't at peace with. And it began to change the entire climate in the, in the, in the, in the village. You see, what I'm telling you, that's a long time to get to this. What I'm telling you is this. If we could just tap in if we could just tap into the gospel and to release it in the nations, we would see stuff happen like John 3. We'd see people like Nicodemus come to faith. We would see rifts healed. We would see relationships restored. We would see arms laid down. I mean, if we just put it out there and let God do what God does and just don't try to dictate the outcome, things have a wonderful way about working out. But the point is, it is the heart of God that all men be saved that none perish, but that all come to eternal life. That's the heart of God. Without apology, without exception, that is the heart of God. And we need to get on God's bandwagon. I'll tell you this story real quick. I said earlier that it is hard to find someone in our culture who doesn't know anything about Jesus and who doesn't know anything about church because most people have had, most people who are not in church have had bad experiences with church. That's why they're they're not in a fellowship today because somebody hurt them real bad. 
Janet may have to help me with this, but it was probably four or five years ago. I was in a Pine Street apartment complex. And uh, we were down there ministering at Sidewalk Sunday School. And after everything was packed up and gone, um, met these three little, three little boys on bicycles. Began to talk to them. They, they wanted to know what I was doing there, and I told them. And um, I said, well, I'm here telling people about Jesus. I said, do you all know Jesus? And uh, all three of them. Said, one of them said, Jesus who? Jesus who? And I said, none of y'all know about Jesus? And one little boy said, no, where does he live? Is he from around here? That was his question. He wasn't smart and all. Does he live around here? One little boy said, uh, and I asked him about church, and they said, one of them said, well, I, I went with my grandma a time or two. And these little boys ranged in age from probably six till nine, something on that order. And so I began to talk to him about Jesus, but... It really baffled me that I found somebody in Jessup who didn't know anything about Jesus. But y'all know what? The day's coming when that's going to become more and more prevalent. And I wonder how many people out there don't know about what Jesus came to earth to do. I wonder how many people out there don't know about irresistible grace or prevenient grace. I wonder how many people out there that the Spirit of God is actually stirring in but people don't understand what it is, and they know something's different, and they know something is fresh, but they don't have anybody to explain it to them what's going on. I wonder how many people are out there like that. I'm going to tell you what, the church has got to get off its duff. We've got to get off our duff. We've got to take time. We've got to invest time and energy in people, and we've got to tell them, not only tell them about Jesus, but explain to them what he came to do and, and demonstrate to him. Maybe the most important thing is just to demonstrate his love to people. And be patient. Be long-suffering and take them like they are. If they have a different vocabulary than we do, just let them, let them use their vocabulary. I'm around people all the time who just cuss, fuss, and raise sand. But you know what I'm finding? Some of those people... Um, get in a place where they have a need and they come to me and they express that need. For example, today somebody's friend was sick. Actually, it was somebody's boyfriend who was sick. Fell sick kind of quick. And, and so I had, they came to me and or expressed to me in passing what the problem was. I said, I said, can we pray for them? Sure, that'd be good. Pray for people. Just, just, just pray for them. Sometimes that's the best witness you can have is to pray for somebody who's sick. So what I'm, and even that's spreading the gospel of the kingdom. So I guess the whole experience tonight simply to tell you this is that God is still working in people's lives just like he was working in Nicodemus. He's still stirring people up. He's still bringing the dead to life. He's still healing. He's still blessing. He's still doing all those things. He's still working through you. And so the message tonight is just to point those things out and just to be an encouragement to you and just say, let's keep doing these things. Let's do them more. You know, we've got to change our tactic a little bit. The church today is entirely too quick to write people off that it does not understand. We've just got to, we've just got to try to understand people. Now, you know, just got to. Jesus did. He took time at the night time to talk to this dude, you know, in John 3. 
He could have said, you know, it's like, why don't you go home? Let's talk tomorrow. <laughs> but Jesus took time to teach him. So anyway, Jesus came that the world through him might believe and be saved. I think that's a good thing, don't you? We just want to bless our viewing audience and say, come see us one Wednesday or Friday at Providence. 7 o'clock, you'll be glad you did.